And the reality is what we're learning from women is that they're seeking a man that takes leadership and ownership and says, I want to parent this child. Yet women aren't Mm -hmm. feeling safe enough to do that with their partners. And so we have this like silent game of like no communication happening where I'm assuming this and you're assuming that. Is anyone really able to discuss the effects of abortion without it becoming political? Because it is an important issue that's not going anywhere anytime soon. Well, I have found the only organization on the planet that I know of that's non-political on this topic as they provide emotional support for women and for men as well who have been impacted by an abortion. Lisa Rowe, a clinical social worker and the CEO of Support After Abortion, joins me now. So, let's do it. Too many days in the darkness Without a glimpse of the light Running tired and broken and scared But I swear I'll never give up the fight I see you broken and beat Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for how we're going to dive into this conversation. Yes, yes, definitely. And just to to start, would you be able to give us just a brief overview, really, for people just hearing about you guys for the very first time on really what your goals are and what you guys try to focus on? Sure. So I'm a licensed clinical therapist. And so that's a long way to say that I'm a mental health counselor. And uh, we kind of stumbled into this in a, in a unique way, the support after abortion space. Uh, it was a space that was unknown to me, never taught to me in grad school. And so when I found myself in our local pregnancy center learning about the need for after abortion support, I was dumbfounded. I had no idea that this was even a thing. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that today, about why it wasn't a thing and why it's not a thing for most people listening today. Uh, But we really were concerned, our founder specifically was really concerned that more people, knowing how many people have been impacted by abortion, weren't reaching out for support. And so our local resources in the church and in the pregnancy center were not being utilized in the way that we would have expected. And so we went on this hunt to kind of understand, was this a Southwest Florida thing? Was this a national thing? What was going on? And lo and behold, we found out that we weren't alone. It wasn't an isolated experience. This was actually a national experience that 80% of those impacted by abortion don't know where to go, don't even know that there's something there for them. And so that means that only 20% of the millions of men and women actually know that there's help for them. Mm-hmm. And uh, and, and I, we'll talk, like I said, about why that is. But support after abortion is trying to bridge the gap trying to help people understand that abortion is another human dysfunction that's damaging families, that's damaging self-esteem, that's isolating people. 
exacerbating substance abuse, suicidal ideation, anxiety, depression. And because we've seen it as a political and religious issue, we're not seeing it as the human issue. And, uh, and so we're really trying to bring research and leaders together to better understand abortion as a crisis of the human um, experience. Yeah. And, uh, and so we've been on this mission for three years as our own nonprofit now. And we have a text line, a helpline for those impacted. And, uh, and like I said, helping leaders around the country better understand how abortion actually is hurting people. Yeah, when you started to say, um, you know, maybe it's a South Florida thing or something, I was like, maybe it's a Bible Belt thing, you know, but if that is the trend throughout the the country, I mean, I had looked at a, an interview or a study from, I think it was like netdoctor.org, where they interviewed women who had had abortions, and they were pretty much trying to figure out, are they being offered care? And what does that care look like, whether it's physical or emotional care, but it's post-abortion care. and. Right. Um, three women basically said, no, it wasn't offered to me. And, and no, I either one person said, no, I don't need it. The other one said, I wish it was. And then another, the third one had said, uh, it was interesting, her response. She had said, no, it wasn't offered to me. And, but I, I didn't ask for it. Hmm. And there was, she, she didn't realize that there was an implication in there. You know, it, it's, it's not her, you know, I, I don't think it was her um, responsibility to ask for, you know what I'm saying? Like, like services, like healthcare. And, you know, when you go into a doctor, I mean, it should be all, all of the resources that can be offered to you. So that, that did surprise me. So it's not, um, I guess it's not overall, not surprising then that, you know, you guys were kind of having trouble finding people, even though there were plenty of them out there kind of needing help and needing assistance. Yeah. And you mentioned something that I think is really important for the average listener. You know, we are programmed, so to speak, to see abortion as a political issue, a religious issue. Oh, yeah, so for sure. Unless we've experienced it in our own humanity or we know somebody who has or uh, have he heard stories like we're hearing today, it doesn't touch us the way that maybe suicide, divorce, homelessness, domestic violence, all of the other things that we hear in our world, it doesn't touch us that way. Mm. And so what you're sharing makes a lot of sense because we don't see it that way. Even people who are experiencing it are confused by their own understanding. Yeah. And, uh, and we often hear from men and women that I left the abortion clinic thinking it was no big deal, feeling incredibly relieved met on the sidewalk with people holding signs of dead babies. And maybe hours, months later, I started feeling differently. And because of those experiences of hearing it shouldn't impact you and this is a murder, they don't know where to go for help. And they don't even know if they should feel validated in seeking help. Yeah. And I, I guess it's just the classic suffering in silence then, you know, because mm -hmm. you, um, I mean, who, who can you, who can you talk to then? You know, like if you've had an abortion and say you com completely even regret it and, you know, you, you're you starting to feel um, uh, like grief. And so, I mean, you who can you reach out to if, you know, you're you're feeling, I guess, like you're not allowed to. Yeah. And that's where the whole condemnation message, you know, one in four women by their 45th birthday will experience abortion. And if you think about that, you know, when we go out to dinner we often, you know, sit at a four top, if you will. 
one of those people at that table will statistically have experienced abortion and more if we think of partners and those that have been impacted. And so if we think of it like that, yet we're having conversations at the mm -hmm. dinner table, like who are we voting for this year? And what, what about this news article or whatever? We're not talking to that person about their experiences with any sort of compassion. We're talking with a very different lean. And so therein lies the reason why most people feel like if I was to ever say anything about my abortion experiences, yeah. what would this person think of me? They've already shared all the belief systems they have in the political and religious realm. I, I don't fit there. Yeah, very passionately. That's that's interesting. Then. So if you have four 45-year-old women out at a like a cocktail bar. So just pretend, I guess it's a, a scene from sex in the city. Right? Right, right, and, right, right. and they're just, they're just talking. At least one of them have had, um, have had an abortion. That is a crazy amount of number 25%. Yeah. And one or more, right? We know that 50% of the abortions happening in our country are repeat abortions, which means that means that 500,000 abortions every year are being performed on somebody who's already had a previous abortion experience. So that's, this could mean that the people at your table have had more than one experience with abortion. And it could have been 20 years ago. It could have been yesterday. Um, the stories run, you know, there's no, in my experience, there has not been any one specific story that they're all unique and different. So you guys, basically your role starts with, okay, this person has had an abortion already and are now seeking some sort of physical or emotional support post-abortion. You guys aren't like involved in that unplanned pregnancy stage. And now there's a, you know, people are considering, someone's considering a decision-making process on their future for that unplanned pregnancy. You guys start basically, okay, you've had an abortion. And now yeah, where, do, where are we going from here? Right. That is our main space. Uh, sometimes people call us because of our name. The sheer factor of our name attracts people for marketing purposes to us. Like, hey, I'm thinking about this abortion. I'm on my way to this abortion experience. Is there anything I need to know or how can you help me? Um, but yeah, our sole space support after abortion is to help that man or woman after their abortion experience, whether it's seconds later, decades later, we are here to help affirm and validate their experience and provide them the support that they need. And I saw you guys do help. Um, you do help men who have been part of that abortion process with um, with a woman who's been who's who's had an abortion and maybe. That, that that's so interesting because i feel like i've never heard of a i mean you guys are a unicorn to begin with right mm -hmm. um but also to to lend a hand to men in that process who i i feel like you know sometimes uh have that back seat during that whole entire process um that's really interesting that you guys offer that that hand because you're considering then all of the factors involved right because if you throw a stone into a pond you see the ripples and we say that about any human mm dysfunction, any damaging behavior. It's not just an isolated person experience. It affects the persons in the system. And I appreciate that you're willing to talk about the man because for so long, I invalidated men. I villainized men. I think our culture does. I don't think I'm um, abnormal in that we see men as the reason why people, why women choose abortion. And the reality is based on the research that we've done, that's not truth at all. Men often feel like because of the programming that this is not a space that they can even enter into the conversation. It's her body, it's her choice. 
And the reality is what we're learning from women is that they're seeking a man that takes leadership and ownership and says, I want to parent this child. Yet women aren't Mm -hmm. feeling safe enough to do that with their partners. And so we have this like silent game of like no communication happening where I'm assuming this and you're assuming that. And so we have this huge population of men, 70% of them that actually say, I need help afterwards. This is, this is not okay. I'm hurting. And Mm. their experiences like run from, I forced her to have this experience. I drove her to the clinic. I was ambivalent to, I didn't want anything to do with this experience. I tried everything to stop her and I couldn't. Yeah. Jeez. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and it, the, 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 what you touched on right there too, is a good point. It's the assumptions. Cause that is such a problem in relationships when people just, uh, assuming, and it's so sad when two people want, might want the same thing, but they both have the wrong assumption and then <laughs> they make a decision based off of the assumption rather than just, uh, communicating. That is so sad. Is that what you're, is that what you're finding with, um, people's uh circumstances that lead to having um an abortion like really where do you where do you guys um start when somebody reaches out to you guys and says hey like i need help do you guys rewind basically from okay well what was the circumstance that you found you're in found yourself in that led to the unplanned pregnancy that then led to the abortion that then led you to this space is that kind of where you guys start because i i feel like abortion people tend to look at it like a like a destination um it's a destination it's at the end it's okay i'm in this dilemma this social dilemma i'm i have life circumstances and this abortion is going to solve all my problems you know i'm going to be able to go right back to life you know whether it's um college or you have some financial circumstances you had to go through or whether it's just this the stigma you know if you're if you're a, a teenager especially and that is now going to solve all of my problems. I'll put it all behind me and I will start fresh and really where, and then they land with you guys. And um, where, where do you start with, with somebody when they come for support? That's a great question. So first of all, we meet them with complete neutrality, right? Whatever our belief system is, whatever, none of that matters at this point. They've already experienced abortion, the pain, whatever reason it is that they're reaching out for support. We want them to know that it's about them. It's about loving them right where they are with compassion. They already have felt tons of condemnation. And then we want to make sure that they lead whatever healing journey that they want to take from here. You know, everybody's going to enter in a unique place, whether they're 60 years old and they're, they went to this retreat weekend and they're having this revelation in their faith and they want to get closer to their, 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 the, their God or whatever it is. And then you have women who are like, I just had a home abortion and I don't know what it was I was expecting, but it was not that. And I am mortified to go back into that bathroom and brush my teeth and get ready for school or work or whatever. So we need to make sure that we, we, we offer that space to them, but you ask a really interesting question. And, and that is what happens after that initial, you know, uh, connection. And we believe at support after abortion. In fact, I wrote a book called unraveled roots because I believe so heavily in this, that abortion is a symptom of a much deeper root. And all of the things that we experience, divorce, homelessness, mental health issues, they're all symptoms of much deeper roots. You know, we even have research that says ADD, ADHD is a symptom mm-hmm. 
of PTSD. So going back to that idea that woman doesn't wake up at 18 years old and says, I can't wait to have an abortion today. You know, a man doesn't wake up at 22 and say, I can't wait to beat my girlfriend today. Or I can't wait to use that hit of uh, fentanyl that is going to kill me. Like people don't wake up with that on their mind. It's their trauma that's leading them into these very vulnerable places. And it's likely that an abortion experience has followed other traumas before, right? So the five-year-old girl who's abused, the six-year-old boy who is raising himself because there's nobody at home to take care of him. They find themselves in vicarious situations looking to each other for healing in a relationship or whatnot. And then that leads to sex. And before you know it, they're in these unexpected times and they don't know what to do. And, uh, and so we, we understand that. And it just depends on the client's journey where they want to go with that. But we definitely are very trauma informed, if you will, to help meet clients in those spaces if they need to. Mm. That, that is interesting. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's, it's it reminded me of as soon as you said, it said it brought up in my mind, like alcoholism, you know, mm-hmm. where people think like an alcoholic just wants to drink, wants to drink, wants to drink. And it's like, there's so many factors that like that domino effect that is starting that is the root of that alcoholism um Absolutely. and i never and i never thought about that and i think about basically okay like alcoholism people with gambling problems people with you know mental health issues there's always a venue to go to those i mean they've literally put it on commercials and tv and and facebook ads but i mean uh abortion it's uh, i can only imagine that kind of that kind of struggle. Um, what is the, from your perspective, what is the first impression you get from someone in terms of they, they sit down? Is it kind of just like letting the, um, the water fountain out, you know, and, and I can only imagine how intense that first session is when people have had either years, if it's not recent of finally getting this off of their chest and actually getting these emotions back to the surface. What are some of those first time sessions like? Yeah. So oftentimes I think the water, that's a great, great metaphor, but also like just letting shaking up that two liter bottle and undoing the cap. It's like, it's like an explosion. It's an emotional release. Oftentimes. Okay. This is a safe place for me to share. And I've kept this inside and I don't know who else to talk to. This is. And so this outpouring of feelings and explanations, which is why it's so important for us to walk with that compassion, because if we could create these conversations around our dining room table, that our our conversations at the bar were more compassionate, it might not feel such so, so much of an explosion, because we will have had conversations leading up to it that give us an opportunity to release it little by little, uh, like we do in other facets of our life. Yeah. And so yeah, it, it often feels that way. And it's unique, because I might have a client who's struggling with sex addiction, which is still taboo in our culture. But he or she has likely already had a conversation with somebody who has said, maybe try therapy. That is not usually the situation with abortion. Um, These people are reaching out quietly and without much, if anybody in their life that they've shared this with. And so uh, it does feel a little bit or even more magnifying. Uh, It feels bigger um, because there isn't anybody else that they've spoken to. Well, it's interesting right now to think, uh, Everyone, even who's listening and myself, like it, one out of four women 
that you said before under the age of 45. If you don't know anybody right now who has had an abortion, that just means they haven't told you about it. And there's a certain reason behind that then. Yeah, and that's and that's really, really interesting to think about that people are walking around that are supposedly so good friends with you, but are walking around with this humongous experience, life experience that they have gone through that is so traumatic, regardless of however people feel about it. Like it just it is a it's a I mean, it's huge. And if you don't know about it, that just means that they're probably not comfortable or feeling safe enough to talk with you. And, you know, there's, you know, if you're not going to tell your boss that, you know what I'm saying? But if you have, uh, you know, if you, if you are a, a father of, of daughters, if you um, are a mom of daughters or a friend of, of, of people, and you don't know anybody technically that has told you that, you know, it's, it's something to kind of reconsider and start to think about maybe the potentials of what could have happened and maybe, retailering some language a little bit to be a little bit more of a softer landing pad for people to land on just in case a circumstance like that does come up. Oh my gosh. So let me just kind of tell you my story in in this realm, because you're so right for 15 years as a clinician, I never talked about this. When I started to better understand, I would go to people kind of really naive and saying, friends of mine that I've been friends on a Friday night, we'd be going to a football game or whatever. And I'd say, I remember one specific conversation. I said, I'm working in this capacity now. And I didn't even realize abortion was a thing. And I said, did you, do do you, what are your thoughts on this? And she goes, Lisa, I experienced abortion when I was 19. And I'm like, for how long have we been friends? Five years. And I feel like we've shared the most details of our lives. And because I just showed up very kind of like blind to it all and non-assuming and really ignorant in my own understanding, what do you know that it offered an opportunity for her to talk? And then guess what ended up happening? She just went on this journey of healing and she's now like, she wears a ring with her daughter's birthstone on it, along with her other three living children. I mean, it just took a whole new shape. Another girlfriend of mine disclosed, my husband has been making fun of me since I had my abortion experience because after their abortion experience, they had a living son who has a very rare neurological issue. And in, in fights, he'll say things like, if you didn't have that abortion, we wouldn't have this issue now and these sort of oh, things. And Jesus, She had nowhere to say any of this. And then the biggest, the, the last two big things that I would say in this realm that I can really relate to what you're saying is that. My husband, almost a year ago to the day, uh, he was having this major spiritual healing awakening. And he called me on the phone because he could not do it in person. And he said, Lisa, there's just one more thing I need to tell you. And I went, oh, Lord, like, you know, I've been here before. Lisa, I was 20 years old when I experienced my abortion. I've been afraid to tell you. I've been married to him 10 years. I'm like, what the heck? Like, you know, and I say that with love in my heart, but I mean, what did I do that didn't make him feel safe? Or is there more to it? Well, he's unpacked it since. And the reality is, is he didn't, he didn't know how to talk about it. He said, this was the one thing I pledged to myself that I would go to my grave with this. I was never going to tell anybody. I was so ashamed of it. And, uh, and so he like, 
vomited, like we talked about just a, a little bit ago. And then the last one, I was in DC talking to leaders in in, in this space. And uh, he was just an amazing young 30-year-old professional. And he said, the minute I saw your name and the minute you walked into my office and presented what you were sharing, he's like, I needed, I know I needed to tell you that I was one of these guys. And I thought to myself, here's this guy, suit wow. and tie. I don't know if he could lose his job or not, or what kind of ramifications could be the result of this, but for him to share his heart in what should have been a business meeting felt like this is what we should be doing in our world. And that's just a handful of experiences because I have chosen to walk in this and see people's hearts. And yeah. uh, it's been amazing. No, it is. It is. I, um, that I feel like it's almost similar to when people open up about like sexuality a little bit, you know, when things, mm -hmm. they, they tuck things in for a while, but it's, and it goes to show you just how our, our minds work where you, we are so fully capable of packing our suitcases up, going in the attic and just putting it way, way in the back and just walking back downstairs and never touching it again, you know, but I mean, that, that weighs on you that really, that really does weigh on you. And I mean, when, when, um, when are women who have had abortions, you know, in your experience, most susceptible to experiencing post-trauma and grief and, and stress and trauma, I'm sure it's like probably different for, for everybody, but I, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the singer Kaya Jones. She, mm -hmm. um, you're probably, you probably more familiar with the group she was with because it was an all-female group called the the pussycat dolls mm -hmm. and she just recently back in january of this year really opened up um on her experience with the pussycat dolls and a lot of and you know her her abortions that she had she had her first one when she was about 16 17 uh and then she went that was right before she got onto the group and then she had two more after that and the first one she said at, like when she was 17 it kind of became normalized because it, she had said you know i crossed that red tape and you're you know it's this big thing but once you cross it you know nothing you know it, it was life back to normal pretty much for her. so it kind of normalized it and then it led to two more um that she actually ended up having some complications with for each of those and and it wasn't until she had she was performing live with the pussycat dolls and she had said that she saw about two little girls in the crowd and she's looking at those girls and those she could tell those girls are looking at her like a a role model you know like like she's the epitome of success you know mm -hmm. what these these girls look at her like probably in gaga eyes like that's who i want to be and she described that in that moment she had felt absolutely awful about herself because not only was she in the middle of getting an abortion during that time, but she had said that those girls didn't know really how she felt inside was the exact opposite of what these girls were looking at her with. She had absolutely zero self-esteem. She was going through body issues and there was a really strict um, element that she had to adhere by on the pussycat doll. She had said that like, even um, like managers would call her up during the day and ask her like, you know, what have you been eating? You know, like things like that to ensure that when you go on stage, like you're looking fit and you're dressing how we want you to dress. And, and 
really, really interesting interview, but she had just, she was opening up about all of this now. Cause she's about, she's about 38 years old. And the regret that she had um, stems from obviously the, the trauma that was really starting to show um, during the interview. And my back to my question, I guess, to, to linger around, you know, <laughs> the long yeah. way around um, does the, like in your experience, if, if somebody were to say, you know, I'm getting an abortion soon, would you, what would you tell them in terms of when to expect a grieving, <laughs> like a, a time of grief or to go through trauma, if, if any, because everyone's different. I'm sure there's people that have, have not gone through that. Um, but just from your experience. Yeah. And I would say that everybody is different. And so back to the 60 year old woman who's now having like this reflection on life and she's seen maybe the things she did well and the things she didn't maybe seen some of the mistakes she's made looking at grandchildren possibly and that sort of thing. And she's going, oh my gosh, like there would be another human being in my family right now had I not experienced abortion. Maybe the woman and man who aren't able to have children now. And they, I hear often, I killed the only child that I was given, mm. right? And so there's that reflection, like my whole family line is now ended because I don't have biological children to show for, you know, my only yeah. children are in heaven. Um, and, and then we have the people that are reflecting if they're open to it, how they're responding in their thirties to life. You know, why am I feeling so challenged? And with the great therapist and great people around you supports, you might be asked this one particular question, which allows you to then reflect on how did that impact me to grow awareness around it. Otherwise we walk through life with these blinders, believing yeah. that we need to believe yeah. to reinforce the lifestyle we're leaving leading. And so, you know, it, it, it depends on where you are. And, and like I said earlier, we're seeing more and more women reaching out for help right after abortion now, because no longer are they anesthetized inside of a clinic. They are experiencing abortion in their homes and having to deal with the aftermath all by themselves, no anesthesia and only their own defenses to walk through that. So it really depends. Relationships, you know, are often some of the biggest reasons why people choose abortion. They want to see their relationships survive, their careers survive. And like my husband's story, his relationship ended almost immediately. And this MLB career that he was chasing, that he was inches from, was totally dissolved because he started self-medicating with alcohol to deal with the pain of his, his experience. And so that's not an uncommon story either. Oh, and, and that full circle back to what you said before with the circumstances of these underlying factors as to what leads to it, because that's a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. and, and people might not even see that. Like his his teammates on that team might just be like, yeah, you know, he's he's going through a slump. He's going mm -hmm. through a slump. Like when we look at these major athletes that haven't gotten like a hit in like 20 games or batting like 150, like and we're so quick to just be like, yank his ass off the field you know you know we're paying millions of dollars all this stuff like the, that is actually a huge symptom and i guess we're looking looking at it through your eyes which is like from the therapeutic lens like there is something going on with that person mentality um and, right. and it kind of uh I, that things are really starting to make a lot of sense it was kind of like uh lamar odom back on the lakers uh a couple of years back with kobe bryant he used to have these like 
up and down spells. Like he used to play really, really, really good. And then like, I'm talking 0.0 rebounds. You might as well not even came to the stadium. And then they did a uh, documentary on him and followed him around for like a couple of weeks, just to kind of give him some press. And they were showing him. He had like, I think he was eating candy and sugar, like, mm-hmm. like almost like an obsessive amount, like every day. And like you're going to go up with that and then you're going to come right back down. And just depending on when you eat that amount, it's going to have that effect. And that that is such a good – I'm so glad you said that because it makes sense now when you watch people on TV. Like they're going through something and okay. it's not the direct you're, – you're only seeing the end result. You know, you're not seeing like the iceberg effect, I guess. You know, you're only seeing that little, little tippy top out of the water. You're not looking at the the entirety, which is, you know, it looks like Antarctica underneath the uh, – underneath the ocean right and going back to the basketball player we're talking about I mean he's eating sugar for what reason right why does he consume that kind of level of sugar are we asking those questions are we just saying nope you got to start eating vegetables and fruit well it's usually that like just change your diet but the reason we have obesity the reason we have sugar is because underneath the surface there's something driving like you said the iceberg there's something driving that peak point there's something driving that and you're right i mean it a lot of therapists will understand this they'll understand that there's something underneath but do you think they're asking about abortion as one of the things that's underneath the surface? Very no. rarely, no. very rarely. Do you think clergy members? No, very rarely. Do you think fam- families? No, it's like the one thing that's way over here outside of, you know, what could be underneath the surface. Yeah. Yeah. And I hope, I hope the people that are people that are listening right now are kind of starting to like align people like either in their own lives or friends, their family or something going, well, that makes sense now that someone's acting, you know, maybe abnormally or something and, um, or not themselves. And there, there is something, there is something there and it could be something like an abortion. I mean, it really could be. I mean, I've had, I want to say at least two people I think of right now that have opened up to me about, um, their abortion experience, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, it, it, my first thought was, I'm kind of like, this person's telling me this. They're telling me this. There's, if you were to look on paper in the ranking, in the rank and file system in their family tree and in their friendships, like dozens of people should come before me. Dozens mm-hmm. of people, but they're telling me, you know, I kind of felt a little, a little special in that person's life because they're telling me, and I don't know if maybe it's like the stranger effect. They just feel like safer telling a someone who like, they're a, a couple of, degrees from you know it's not their their mom or their father or their their brother or sister where they're going to have like consequences almost and it could completely derail their relationships it could be something like that but they told me and i understood it and i was happy that they were telling me because you know they were getting a little bit off of their their chest and hopefully they're you know that that does help them because i can only imagine the that emotional uh like cobweb that they're in because and basically my my question for you on this then is um people come to you right do you go through the circumstances that you know maybe have led to the abortion try to get some of those deeper elements that may have caused um them to become have an unplanned pregnancy which led to the abortion which led to them at your office and now you've gotten that first like session done and now it's 
time for hope and healing. You know, mm -hmm. really, where do you guys kind of start generally? I know everyone's, I know everyone's different, but um, you know, generally, where do you guys start? Because there was mixtures of feelings that uh, Kaya Jones interview made a lot of sense because she was feeling, she had feelings of trauma, deep feelings of regret. Um, she, there was a sense of grief, especially. And the most important thing that I don't think she was able to make out in words during her interview, but that whole interview, I would say she was feeling resentment towards everybody who was supported her decisions to making the abortion, which is probably like managers. And so like, all right, it's got, it's one or the other, you know, we're going to hire somebody else. If you have a child and you're not going to, you know, be the same you and the feeling of depression is a depressive feeling you're a down feeling and then the feeling of resentment is the opposite it's an energetic feeling it is i'm angry you know it, it's going to lead to feelings of angry of of angriness so now you have like almost when you drink like a uh vodka red bull you know the red bull's pulling you up the vodka's pulling you down and your heart is just like well, which way do you want me to go? And not to mention, you know, the famous, uh, the famous uh, quote, grief is love with no place to go. So, I mean, when we talk about grief, we're really talking about love in, in general. Just, you know, it just has no place to go. So now love, love, depression and um, resentment. I mean, those are such awful feelings to experience, but to experience them all in one sitting, I mean you guys definitely have your work cut out for you when somebody I'm, I'm sure somebody sits down with you, but where would you back to my question again, long, long winded again, just to get back to the question, <laughs> but uh, where, um, where do you guys start with them? I so appreciate your passion and your, your willingness to go to this deep conversation. So I would say that uh, the woman we're talking about and how we're unpacking her story, she's probably like, if we had a spectrum of 10 being like, a, like totally aware and zero being aware, unaware, she's probably at a seven or eight. Oh right? yeah, she's aware. Yep. She's <laughs> way down the line where most of the people that come to us are kind of just dabbling in this. Like, I think this might be hurting me. I don't really know how this might be hurting me. It hurts, but I'm not sure why. And so they're more on like the three and four and not that we don't get people that are completely mm aware. But, you know, we usually start with like, what kind of feelings did you have uh, on the day of your abortion experience leading up to your abortion experience? What was it like afterwards? Because so often because of the cultural programming, we learn to numb this thing. We try to push it down so far and, you know, our trauma tells us to do the same thing. And so oftentimes there's no real connection to, I think I'm angry, but I don't know what anger really looks like. I think I'm sad. I cry all the time, but I don't really know why I'm crying all the time. I think I feel resentment. I think I'm still relieved that I made this decision. And so they're still just needing that space to kind of grow in that spectrum of awareness of what 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 happened here because in sometimes in some places these folks are stuck back in that moment and I like to yeah. compare it to an emotional spine you know we get kind of stuck we get kind of um you know where our where we have the surgeons in our in our spine if we think about it emotionally we get stuck sometimes at 12 years old 15 years old 17 yeah. years old and what you're talking about is this emotional availability this emotional awareness that sometimes is not accessible to our clients so 
really trying to meet them where they are. But a lot of times it's just even creating the awareness. After awareness, we follow into an acceptance. So, so often, if we're going to bring the political side of things in, you know, you hear the pro-life people say, they're murderers. When are they going to take ownership of their decisions? How could they do this? This is a sin, right? Yeah. Until we grow awareness about it, we can't even enter into a place of acceptance of what we've actually done, what our choices have actually caused. And, you know, then for the pro-life side says, you don't need awareness. This is your body. Your choice. This was your right, you know, pro-choice side, pro-choice. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. Pro-choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's this like conundrum of like, accept it from the pro-life side and this other side, that's like, ah, shush, you know, but we know that healing starts with awareness, then it leads to acceptance. And then it allows us to take action to make different in our life. And so really, I think what you're touching on is how aware are people in this space? I found that they're not very aware. And if they are aware, let's help them get to that place of like, how has this really manifested in your life? What other things are you walking through? Uh, How is this showing up in all these places? And as they continue to develop that, then they'll get to that place of acceptance of, oh my gosh, I was sexually abused at five years old. Sex became an object to me. I used it my entire adolescence to suffer through low self-esteem, anxiety, and all of that. Found myself in very vulnerable situations with unexpected pregnancies and STDs and all threats of all of these other things. And you know, I just kept putting Band-Aid, Band-Aid, Band-Aid. And now here I am at 38 years old. And I'm like, I can't live like this anymore. My everything is, is just breaking inside of me and I need to get to the root of it. Mm, that, that, uh, it's surprising, but it's not surprising that people generally, like you said, on that one, to 10 scale don't know, or mm-hmm. are not really fully aware. And it's sad because I can only imagine that, you know, they're making a humongous decision based off of being 30 or 40% aware of why they're making the decision, mm-hmm. you know, rather than being at least like 80, 90%. Ideally you want to be a hundred, but obviously some, you know, you don't really know until, you know, you know, until after the fact, and then it's easy to play Monday morning quarterback, but wow, 30 to like, like three or four to 10. That's, um, that's insane. But I get it too, because people, you, it's an emotional time. And if you want to hinder thinking, become emotional. You know, if you want to hinder thinking, become emotional. I always thought that, you know, the the best like UFC fighters and the boxers, the reason that they can like have those um, bitter war of words with people that they come up with these crazy, very funny lines to like talk crap to their opposing fighters because they're unemotional. You know, they're in a very emotional time and their brain is able to function in a high stress environment while not being emotional and then they're able to actually make out something very intellectual to say and when you're in the in those emotional times you can't i mean you can't and i can only imagine how emotional that those those times can be and mm-hmm. you're making a decision as best as you can and you know it it's it's tough to be aware when you're emotional because you 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 if especially if it's unplanned how can you plan to be in a spot of unemotional if it is indeed unplanned? Um, so mm-hmm. I, um, you know, it kind of reminds me, you know, I did a, I did a podcast uh, last, uh, last year during November with a nonprofit called Movember, which was uh, a nonprofit that helps 
you know, men's health. And we had spent a good chunk of time talking about men suffering in silence, you know, and then le leading to suicide. And I really, I can't think of a better example to compare it to than this because women suffer in silence then. Yeah. I mean, just as, as bad as men are with things. And I mean, from the, the women that I know that have been in, involved in, in these types of circumstances, I mean, they're functioning, functioning very well with what they're, what they have gone through in terms of like their, their life. Cause it's, you can't tell, you know, you can't tell they're able to compartmentalize this stuff very, very well and um, tap into it when, you know, in their control. And that's, that's kind of impressive. I have to say from uh, an intellectual standpoint that they're able to have, have high paying jobs and go through life and, still have a family and be successful when they've encountered a, an experience that is a uh, high level of emotion and traumatic and do well with themselves with it, you know? And, and we would call that resilience, you know, that, that there yeah. are people that have a diff like really high levels of resiliency that, and others that don't. And I think it's so important what you said, because I think that's exactly what's wrong with why we, we struggle with people is that we celebrate these people that have experienced these terrible things in their life and they're super successful. And then tomorrow they commit suicide and we're like, what the hell happened? Yeah. The reality is that they've been stuffing and trying to cope and maybe their high level of success is their coping mechanism and their motivation is not pure and they're not taking care of themselves. And so I think that's where we have this conundrum in society is we're like, oh yeah, everything's firing on the outside really well. Everything on social media looks good, but deep down inside, is somebody really checking on their, you know, emotional temperature? Where are they really at? And is anybody even talking to them about that? Are they even willing to talk about their emotional health? The likelihood that they have disassociated, right? Much like a boxer, they have to do that. That's a game that they play with their head, just like athletes have to play. That's why it's so hard to integrate after war yeah. and after being a professional athlete to into the world because it's like, oh, it's not it's not this anymore, you know? And I'm not saying everybody struggles with that, but we often see this like, okay, this is not real world. This is not daily living. This is, this was a game that I played with myself to be successful. And I think we miss that sometimes as a, as a culture. Oh, I think so. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it on the nail on the head before. Um, we really do because it's, you know, when you see a change in someone's behavior, especially in a longevity type of frame, you know, over mm -hmm. time and it's, and it's still there, you know, you can go back. It's almost like, you know, if you, um, if you misplace your TV remote, you're going to go, where's the last place that I remember having it? Yeah. If you, if somebody has changed their behavior over the course of time, all you have to do is just go, when was the last time I remember this person in that normal framework? And you'll probably find the time frame where something may have happened or they may have encountered something. So, I mean, just, I mean, hats, honestly, hats off to you guys for being one of the only people on the planet to depoliticize one of the most major political issues that people are going through that is just as important as all the other issues that are that are happening that I've been able to talk about on my podcast before because I mean I can tell you this it is so refreshing to hear and be able to have this discussion because this proves this proves this discussion proves that you can have these discussions with people 
you know, you can, it just, you know, it's, it, it just has to be in a functionally driven way. Like, like we have, and you guys are an absolute unicorn with it because mm -hmm. I can tell you if, when I started this podcast, it says no politics. And if you had said from the day one, which was like a year and a half ago saying, Hey, Dan, one day you're going to talk about politics or uh, one day you're going to talk about abortion. I would say, Oh, well, that must've been the day I flipped, you know, I flipped on my mission, <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> It's not, you know, it's just, I'm, I'm really glad that I'm able to touch, we're able to touch on such a, a hot topic and keep it, you know, and, and just look at it from a humanitarian point of view where it's, it's affecting people's emotional state. And it's just a walking secret. I mean, this is, it's a secret that is hiding in plain sight and one out of four women under the age of 45, if we can walk away with that, we might be able to have more constructive communication over the issue and realize why sometimes you as soon as we start to get into a conversation somebody might just go with a jab and just start reaching out right away and go and jump into that passionate mode because they might have an experience from abortion that they're tired of keeping in and that's their way of of expressing it you know so i mean we, we might look at things a little bit differently there so i mean i uh I do have some information on the screen now that uh, where people can can find you guys and either help and support or to reach out to you and, and try to convert some of those numbers for people that need help to actually finding help because they're they're not getting it from from any other place. Um, but other than other than that, are there places you got you would prefer, you know, people reach out to they can help or find you guys? Yeah, my my best place to offer you is supportafterabortion.com. There's a chat feature there. There's a phone number there. You can text, you can call. If you're outside of the United States, you can use WhatsApp, you can use Facebook, Instagram, email us. Um, we're here for everyone. And, uh, you know, if it's you or a family member, or maybe like you said, a volunteer or somebody who is like, I want to add this to something I'm already doing that is helping people. We're here to help coach you through that. Okay. Good, mm -hmm. good. I um Lisa, I, I, I can't thank you enough for, for coming on. Um I'm looking forward to to hopefully hearing that people have listened to this and, and maybe reached out and um you know we'll definitely link up down the road then. Yeah, Dan, thank you so much. I appreciate your heart. No, thank you, Lisa. Mm -hmm. With every star.